like to introduce all of us. I'm Christina, this is Guy and Yanai. Um, and we're all here to serve you as best as we can during this retreat. There's a lot of familiar faces here. Um, it's very wonderful to see you and welcome back. Also, a lot of new people, and I hope you feel relieved to know that there are a lot of familiar faces here, because not only did they survive their last retreat, they also returned. Um, in the talk this evening, we'd, we'd just like to speak a little bit about the, the guidelines and the principles of this retreat that hopefully will help you to feel that you kind of know the direction that we're going in and what this retreat is all about. The Buddha gave many, many talks on meditation. And in the beginning of many of those discourses, he would start by saying a few very simple words that began with encouraging and inviting people as they began to meditate to set aside their entanglements with the world and to establish themselves in mindfulness and solitude. I think these words are very important ones for us to reflect on as we begin a retreat what it means for us to set aside our entanglements with the world, and what it means to establish ourselves in mindfulness and solitude. I think these words describe an approach to meditation and to a time of meditation that helps to create the most fertile environment for deepening and understanding and in compassion. I think these words also, for me, they illustrate both what meditation is and they illustrate what meditation is not. To set aside our entanglements with the world. Now when we come on a retreat, to some extent we bring the whole of our lives and the whole of our world with us. We bring with us our, perhaps, thoughts about decisions we may be facing in our lives, issues we may be dealing with, or challenges that we're confronting or may be struggling with. We bring with us our thoughts and feelings and memories about our relationships, our the world of our work, the world of our friends and families. We bring with us our emotional lives. And as we begin a retreat, it is probably true for most people that there are some parts of this world where there are areas of, that are incomplete or perhaps that are charged or unresolved. Now, meditation is not in any way an attempt to deny or to suppress any part of that world. It's not, meditation is not an attempt to um, compartmentalize and attempt to fra uh, fragment and separate our lives to say that that is somehow our, our worldly life and this is something different, hopefully our saintly life. To set aside our entanglements actually means something very different. It means reflecting upon our relationship to this moment, which in a very real way is reflecting upon our relationship to the whole of our lives. A retreat is not intended to be a time of obsessing, endlessly thinking about what is unresolved or charged. A retreat is not intended to be a time of 
finding instant solutions or making perfect decisions or resolving every detail of our lives that has ever been unresolved. Instead, meditation is a learning a way of approaching our world, learning a way of approaching this moment very, very differently. Meditation is more of an invitation and an encouragement to learn about spaciousness, to learn about balance, acceptance, equanimity around everything that arises in every moment. If we reflect for a moment upon what is the nature of entanglement, what is happening for us when we feel really locked into some thought pattern or feel that there's some tremendous stickiness within our mind or feelings, what's the nature of that entanglement when we feel that we're so caught up in our thoughts about something? that the very prospect of spaciousness or letting go feels impossible. Now some of that entanglement or some of the dynamics of that entanglement, at times it involves perhaps the demands that we may be making upon ourselves or others at the moment. Some of the entanglement may have to do with expectations, withholding, with resistances. And a lot of the entanglement, of course, has to do with some rather excessive thinking. If we think about the nature of disentanglement, reflect on, for a moment on those times in our lives when we actually feel fairly calm and open, sensitive and balanced. What are the ingredients of that space? What are the ingredients of that kind of consciousness and heart? Some of the ingredients of disentanglement are our capacity to let things be, to know a quality of calmness within ourselves and attentiveness. This is the environment that is most conducive to understanding and to insight. This is the way of meditation, the way of practice. What we will be mostly concerning ourselves with in this retreat, learning, this, learning more deeply, more intuitively on a cellular level, what that quality of being, of spaciousness, of kindness, of balance is within ourselves. The second part of the invitation that the Buddha spoke about was to establish ourselves in mindfulness. I think we should never underestimate the power of attentiveness. That attentiveness is the birthplace of sensitivity, of connectedness, of depth, of compassion. If we also reflect upon some of the richest times in our lives, when we felt truly open and connected with another person, when we felt truly touched by nature, when we've been able to listen well to others or listen well to ourselves, these are times of very, very profound attentiveness. This is also what mindfulness is really all about. Mindfulness is about that quality of relationship with every moment in our lives. Learning that quality of richness and connectedness. The third part of the invitation that the Buddha spoke about was to establish ourselves in solitude. Now relationship and engagement and interaction are a very intrinsic and natural and often very, very rich part of our lives. And meditation doesn't intend in any way to deny relationship. 
but it is certainly concerned with exploring this most intimate relationship we have, our relationship with ourselves. A solitude is a very important part of a meditation retreat. Sometimes it can feel in the beginning to be a little bit awkward. We may perhaps not be so accustomed to being alone, or we may have a history in, our, in ourselves that equates being alone with loneliness. And sometimes it can indeed feel very strange to be together in one building with 99 other people and somehow have this, this space of, of solitude, of not interacting. What do you do when the you know, with the person who's sitting across the dining room table from you? What do you do with a roommate? What do you do when you pass someone in the hallway? It often feels in the beginning a little bit rocky. Um, we're not quite sure of the etiquette of solitude, so to speak. But it is an essential part of learning how to befriend ourselves and learning how to befriend the moment. And no one can actually substitute for us in this journey. They can support us, um, help us, serve us. And yet in, many, in a very real way, a retreat is something, a meditation is something we need to experience for ourselves. A solitude takes a certain kind of commitment. Uh, some of you probably come with partners or with friends, you know, or colleagues or whatever. And it's not at all unknown that arrangements are made prior to the beginning of a retreat. That, you know, perhaps we meet up just to take care of each other, you know. And a little anecdote. I'd like to share with you. Recently, I was teaching a retreat, and two people came on the retreat, friends, and it was their first retreat, and they were a little apprehensive and a little scared, so they made an arrangement that every evening after the talk that they would silently go for a walk together. It seemed like a great idea at the beginning of the retreat. On the third day of the retreat, one of them came to me and said, you know, I made this agreement, and you know, I was really trying to be helpful, you know, and now I find, you know, I just got to keep showing up. I want to go sit, you know, I want to be on my own. And if I don't go, they're going to feel rejected and hurt. The other person comes the next day and says, you know, I made this agreement and I can't believe what I've got myself tied into, this arrangement, like a, an arranged marriage we have to meet every night. So it was a great relief to both of them to know that they could respect the other person and let them be. There's a wonderful quote that says that the, the greatest bond between two people is that they can respect the solitude of one another. And that is what we do in a retreat as we cultivate this path, never underestimating the ways in which we support each other through our silence, through our commitment to being alone, and yet through our very visible presence and commitment to practice. You will find here over the days, you know, that there are times actually when you falter or you feel like throwing up your hands in despair and you wonder why you're not on the beach and somebody walks in front of you so mindfully and so carefully and it becomes such a, a source of inspiration and you also offer it to others. In meditation practice, we can find a tremendous joy in being alone. And yet it is a quality of aloneness which is never separate. You will, I think, possibly also discover during these days here the ways in which a tremendous sense of community and bond and a very intuitive bonding emerges in the silence of this retreat. I think it is helpful to think of a meditation retreat as a kind of pilgrimage. It's a journey of self-discovery and it's a journey of transformation. And there are two aspects of every pilgrimage. One aspect is beginning this journey 
with an acceptance and an awareness of this moment, the reality of who we are, the reality of our lives at this moment. We're not trying to reject or to leapfrog over who we are or to bypass ourselves, but to begin with our feet on the ground, established within our present reality, without judgment, without rejection. The other part of a pilgrimage, of every pilgrimage, is that it is concerned with a sense of aspiration. A pilgrimage, a journey, is about going somewhere. There is a part of every meditation journey which is about reaching for what is possible, about reaching to understand about peace, about compassion, about oneness, about happiness, about non-separation, about joy. This is also part of every pilgrimage, of holding these two together, this sense of acceptance around our reality and this sense of aspiration, this sense of longing, of exploring, of really looking at what is possible for us in every moment. Now, there are some ingredients that are, or some perhaps we might say some core principles in every pilgrimage which really support it. One of them is the ingredient of simplicity. You know, to travel this journey, it's best to go lightly. And so there are many, many dimensions of simplicity. Part of it is in this building. I mean, there is a certain simplicity you've probably noticed about your bedroom, you know, about some of the rooms in this building. It's not just poverty, you know. There is an intentional simplicity here. We don't show movies. We don't have cabarets, you know. None, none of that stuff. That doesn't mean, you know, we're into some sort of, you know, really dour, uh, dry, barren path. But cultivating simplicity really learning what it means to find richness in just what is. There's a simplicity in the schedule, you've probably noticed. The schedule covers most of the hours of your waking day, you may have noticed. Really, it's a great favor, you know, you really don't have to think too much about what am I going to do next, you know, what should I do with my time, you know, how should I spend my afternoon? You know, part of the simplicity is actually really being open to what staying with that schedule might teach us. When we just sit, we just walk, we really cultivate that tremendous simplicity held within that of just being with what is. But simplicity, a big part of simplicity, is what happens within ourselves. And that involves our commitment here. Now, you know, many people before they come on retreat think, oh, you know, so many hours, so many days, I might get bored. And so they pack a few extras in um, books, tapes, manuscripts, you know, projects they're working on. That's one way of doing a retreat. But I would also suggest it would be a tremendous gift to yourself to leave it in your suitcase to really see what happens when we let things fall away rather than what happens when we already know what happens when we follow a pathway of always filling up. See what happens when we really let things fall away. Simplicity is around the notice board. We don't really do too much here in the way of dramatic last-minute announcements. Um, you know, if you don't check the notice board every hour, you're probably not going to miss uh, very much. You know, so a certain simplicity around that. You know, if you find yourself, you know, hanging out and reading the small print on everything, you know, reading the housekeeping manuals, you know, it's, it may be helpful to let go a little bit. Simplicity is also around our thinking. I mean, I'm sure that none of us are so naive to think that or to believe that we will sit down in meditation here and our mind is suddenly going to drop into some blissful state of emptiness. It won't. It'll keep going, you know. It'll keep churning things out. It'll keep remembering things. It'll keep having, 
you know, intriguing things to dwell upon, to obsess with, you know, probably things you haven't thought of in a hundred years you're going to think of during this nine days. But here too we can practice a certain simplicity. We can practice a certain simplicity. The simplicity of calm attentiveness, of learning to let things be. Learning to let things be. Because in this path, in this journey, we're not so interested in keeping on traveling the pathways of thinking, feeling, reacting that we already know and f are familiar with. We are interested in understanding them, in finding a new way of embracing them. But we are also mostly interested in exploring new pathways in our lives, pathways of possibility, what it really means to be able to attend so wholeheartedly to one moment at a time. What it means to listen wholeheartedly, to feel wholeheartedly, to take one breath with a wholehearted attentiveness. That kind of simplicity and that kind of richness we are tremendously concerned with. Another of the ingredients, of course, of every pilgrimage is a genuine willingness to learn. And that is also, in some ways, an unconditional willingness to learn. We may be very surprised here where our teachers actually show themselves. What we actually see within ourselves, our way of being, our way of relating, but to remember in meditation there are no enemies, that there is nothing that is unwelcome, nothing that is an opponent to be somehow denied or stepped upon. Our learning comes in our willingness to listen very well to everything that moves us, to everything that arises. Okay, so Guy. Thanks, Christina. And I'd also like to welcome you all uh, to the retreat tonight. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. I came in from San Francisco uh, today, this afternoon, and for me, it's coming home in a way. Uh, I first came to IMS about 20 years ago, and it really became my spiritual home. This is sort of where I ma made a really strong connection with this practice, and also with Christina. Uh, she was one of my early teachers uh, for years in my practice. I did many retreats with her here at IMS and also in England, uh, where she taught. So it's a real pleasure for me to be back again with Christina on this side of the, uh, the pulpit for a change and uh, also to hang out some with Yanai. Uh, we've only known each other for a couple of years, but Yanai and I share a similar lineage in being rooted both here and in England. We have these twin branches, so I kind of feel like he's a, a good Dharma brother already. I just wanted to emphasize uh, a phrase that Christina used in her opening comments, and that's the phrase, befriending ourselves. And I think it's really uh, such a key to attitude as you begin a retreat like this. The retreat experience, as many of you know who uh, have been here before and have survived it, um, is one that uh, exposes us to a really wide range of our human experience. It's one of the greatest tools I know of for kind of taking the human body and mind and unpacking it. You know how when you buy a new stereo, you have to you know, go through all the corners and take out all those cords and little instruction booklets and the batteries and the remotes? Meditation is really a tool for unpacking the human mind and body. And as we unpack it, sometimes we're a little shocked by some of the implements that we find inside. And part of the beauty of a retreat is we learn to become friendly with all those little bits and pieces that we come upon. This sense of befriending yourself will be one of the greatest allies that you can carry with you uh, during this time together. It can be, it, we can't say too often that it really doesn't matter in the retreat what you're experiencing. 
It's taken me years to get the deep truth of that, and it really doesn't. You'll go through a wide range of experiences. What's important is whether you can greet them with a friendly sense of presence. So that means not to judge yourself too much. Whatever ups and downs you go through, the mind wanders away, gets lost in thought, gets lost in feeling. Don't get discouraged. You can always start again in just the next moment. And if you can bring that non-judging acceptance in, it'll make everything so much smoother. So please be patient with yourself over these days. Give yourself all the time in the world to unpack this container of the human mind and body and heart. It's got incredible depth. We usually open our retreats with a short, you might say ritual or sort of a formal way of entering together into the retreat space. And so I'd like to take us through that tonight. We call it the refuges and the precepts. The refuges are what the Buddha described as the greatest treasures of this world. We live in an uncertain world and we often ask ourselves, where can I find certainty? Where can I find a sense of refuge? in this world. And the Buddha pointed to three aspects of life that he called the three refuges, sometimes called the three jewels of life. So I'd like to uh, explain just briefly about each of those. And for those who would like, we can take the refuges together. The first refuge that the Buddha mentioned as a great treasure in this world was the Buddha himself, not a man given to false modesty. And we mean by this refuge in the Buddha, not just the historical Buddha, the young prince Siddhartha Gautama who lived 2,500 years ago in northern India and came to this deep and liberating insight underneath a tree one night and then taught for the rest of his life about that insight. We mean the historical person, but we also mean the possibility within each of us for finding that same truth. The Buddha didn't construct some unusual meditation state and then find his refuge in it for the rest of his life. He discovered a dimension of freedom within himself that is available within every human being to discover for herself or himself. The direction of our practice is in the direction of that freedom. Every step we take is toward greater and greater freedom by understanding a little bit more of what the Buddha's discovery was. So when we say taking refuge in the Buddha in, this, in the sense of our own experience, it means taking refuge in our own true nature, in our own capacity for living in an awake fashion. And this is what we'll be coming back to again and again through the retreat. The second refuge the Buddha talked about was refuge in the Dharma. Dharma is a Sanskrit word that's usually translated as truth, or law, or the way things are. It's also come to mean the Buddha's teachings. In its most immediate sense, again, for us on this retreat, the way I take the meaning of the word Dharma is as truth. Our refuge as we go through every moment of this retreat, our refuge is the truth of this moment. And that's what we'll return to again, again, and again finding our connection to the truth of what's happening in our experience in this present moment. The Buddha said that one who had an attachment to staying in touch with the present moment reality was one who had one fortunate attachment. This is the best of all attachments to have. So if you can cultivate that kind of attachment over this retreat, that's a very great attachment to have. Coming back again and again to the truth of your own experience. That's where the liberation unfolds. The third refuge that the Buddha talked about, he called refuge in the Sangha. Sangha is another uh, Pali word that means uh, community of practitioners. So it's acknowledging the support that we receive from one another. None of us would have taken a single step along this path without the support of others who had gone before, who had taken those steps and walked some way down the path. And you will appreciate, I'm sure, time and time again, how when everyone else has the resolution to make it back into the hall for the next sitting or make it back to the next walking period, how much strength that gives us to make that same step, to take that seat on the cushion, to follow through with the entirety of a walking period. 
So it is very, very clear over our days together how much strength and support we draw from one another as we go through the practice together. These are the three refuges that the Buddha talked about as being the most precious things in the world. So for those who would like, I would invite you um, to take the refuges uh, together at this time. You don't need to take the refuges if you'd rather not. Um, If you don't feel comfortable because this is your first retreat or you're not a card-carrying Buddhist yet, and by the way, we don't issue those membership cards here, so it doesn't matter whether you are or not. Um, If you'd like to take uh, the refuges along with the others, feel free. Um, You won't be committing yourself to any lifelong vows that you'll sort of worry about in the morning. So if you'd like to take them, feel free. If you'd rather remain silent during this, then please feel free to remain silent. In taking the refuges, I'll I'll repeat the refuge one time in English and ask you if you would like to repeat it after me one time in English. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. Thank you. The second part of the entrance into the retreat space is called the taking of the precepts. Since we'll be living together in quite close quarters for uh, the next nine days, and you'll probably be surprised to discover how close we get to one another, the precepts are a way to establish a really safe haven, a sense of protection, and a sense of refuge within the community. There are five basic precepts which form an ethical basis for life in the Buddhist tradition. They apply not only inside our uh, retreat environment, but in our daily life as well. And their practice is one of the foundations for meditation practice. As we take the precepts tonight, I'll state them in the way that they'll apply during our retreat experience. Toward the end of the retreat, we may talk more about practicing with the precepts in daily life. But for now, we're just undertaking them for this period of our nine days together. The first of the precepts is generally stated as refraining from killing. It really intends to guide us to develop a heart of compassion that looks on all living things with reverence, with respect, knowing that our deepest wish is for our own life to continue and seeing that that's true for every being that lives, from human beings down to the smallest insects, respecting that wish and refraining from taking that most precious possession, another's life. So we ask you during the time that you're here, please to refrain from killing. And believe me, there will be many temptations as you're out doing your walking practice. The mosquitoes uh, are thriving this year. But please um, try working with this precept. It will really help engendering that friendly mind that's such a support in the practice. The second of the precepts is usually framed as not taking what is not given. In shorter terms, not stealing. And it's so wonderful to be in a place, it's like a sanctuary, to be living with a hundred other people and to know that you could leave your most precious possession out somewhere in the building, somewhere in your room during the day, and no one will touch it. That's the kind of space that we can create in this community for a week. It's a beautiful thing, and it's founded in that sense of trusting each other that we won't take what's not given. The third of the precepts has to do with sexuality. It's framed as, in, the, in general life, it's framed as not using our sexuality in a way that harms another, not engaging in sexual misconduct. In our life in this retreat, we'll take a more comprehensive view of it, which is uh, basically the approach of celibacy for this time together. So we'll ask that during this time that you not have sexual interaction with another person, And the purpose of this really, as Christina said, is to emphasize the sense of solitude and to allow us to stay directly in touch with our own experience, not to use relationship, sexual or otherwise, as a way to seek entertainment or distraction or diversion. The fourth of the precepts has to do with speech, and in daily life, it's usually framed as not speaking what is not true, being one who speaks the truth. In this situation, again, we'll take a more comprehensive view, which is of the silent atmosphere of the retreat space. And Yana is going to talk a little more about that, 
but I'll just mention that that's part of the context of the retreats. What's sometimes referred to as a noble silence or an ennobling silence. The fifth of the precepts has to do with drugs and intoxicants, alcohol. In daily life it's stated as not to use drugs or intoxicants to the point of heedlessness where they impair our judgment and we may do something that hurts another. In the context of this retreat setting, again, we take a more comprehensive view. We ask you not to use uh, drugs or intoxicants at all during this retreat. If you have prescription medication that um, your physician has given you, please continue to use that as you normally do. But in terms of recreational um, uh, drugs and alcohol, we'd ask that you not use those during this period. The reason for that is pretty simple. The meditation you'll find has its own powerful energy, uh, has a lot of strength, and affects the mind body very deeply. And it's not to uh, confuse the issue or muddy the waters of that deepening, but to let the meditation have its own, its own work in a very straightforward way. So these are the five precepts, and I'd like to uh, ask that we all take them together formally I will say a line in English, and I, I'll just ask you to repeat it silently to yourself as uh, you're part of the, uh, the taking of the precepts. I take the training precept to refrain from killing. I take the training precept to refrain from taking what isn't given. I take the training precept to observe celibacy. I take the training precept to observe noble silence and to speak what is true. I take the training precept to refrain from the use of drugs and intoxicants. Okay, thank you. So with that, uh, the entry into the retreat space is underway, and uh, Jan and I will talk a little more about the silence and lead us into a meditation. Guy. I'd like to add my welcome also to you all here and coming and it's a, a very special and a wonderful thing to, to come together with a group of people who really made a space in their lives and often busy lives to, to pursue something perhaps a little different than what we might usually find ourselves involved with. And uh, it's, it's a situation really that... Um, asks quite a lot of us in many ways. It can be quite challenging, quite demanding. And yet, in proportion equally to what it asks of us, it can offer so much to us. It can be so powerful in our lives. And in the, the different qualities that we can bring to the situation, in order to really have the most opportunity to receive what is possible, to be touched by what can be offered to us in this time, one thing I'd like to speak a little about before I speak on the silence is the quality of investigation, of inquiry, of really coming here with an intention and an interest to see deeply into what is most true, to explore for ourselves the truth of our life and the truth of our experience. And in this to remember that it's in fact our experience which is the most profound teacher we have. And it's the authority of our own experience, which is ultimately, ultimately that which is truly transforming. And so we learn through the meditation practice what it means to listen to that experience. And listening with a sense of friendliness, as Guy spoke about, with a sense of commitment to being present, and with an interest in seeing what is being revealed. So uh, 
an interest that doesn't express itself in thinking about or dwelling upon what is occurring, but interests itself, expresses itself in a, in a willingness to be intimate, to be connected with, with what's actually being revealed in each moment, and to see that this is possible for us. And that what is revealed in each moment is truly of significance to us. And, and in creating an environment, creating a, a space, both in our outer circumstance and in our inner world, in which we can truly see clearly, in which we can really be touched, the value and the pot potency of silence cannot be underestimated. The silence is perhaps one of the things which many people coming into a retreat for the first time I think perhaps perceive with the most degree of dubiousness. It can be rather daunting and in fact often when people speak about why they haven't gone on a retreat, they'll say, there's no way I could be silent for two days or ten days, or let alone ten minutes. And yet, for many who have had this opportunity, and I think very precious opportunity, to explore what it means to be in silence, there can be a way in which it actually becomes incredibly comfortable, incredibly nourishing. And, and it can be really a precious thing that we treasure among, among and above most others. So the silence is, to, I think, important to be understood, not as a necessarily that there's going to be an absence of noise. Of course, there will still be noises. And... Um, there's plenty of them going on right now. If one listens to the fan, there's of course my voice. But the silence that we speak about and the silence that's truly powerful is more in, in two levels really. The first is the refraining from the engaging in the, in the speaking that we're so used to. Reducing the, the output of, of information and communication that we're so used to being lost in. And that we so often uses the way of defining ourselves, the way of defining those around us. And there can be a way in which we, we sort of know who we are by the messages we give out and the messages we receive back through talking. And so entering into the silence is an opportunity to really let go of that, to see what it would mean to not define ourselves, to not limit ourselves and equally not to limit others around us through that sense of in a way, making ourselves up that we so often do as we speak. And there's, in the, in the outer manifestation of that silence, in the refraining from speaking, or from, in a way, unnecessary communications, that does allow space for necessary, if there are practical concerns of some significance that may need to be addressed, there will, of course, be some opportunities to speak in the context of individual and group uh, meetings with ourselves. So there's not going to be a total absence of speaking, but refraining from any outer speech or unnecessary communication. It, it protects us in a way from those around us. It creates a safe space around us because we no longer need to worry about all the complexities and all the detail and all the in a way that unwritten rules and unspoken conventions of, of verbal communication. And so there's a way in which the silence is a protection to us. It's, it's a gift we offer to ourselves and a gift we offer to each other. And so particularly in that, as Christina was saying, with the, um, with the sense of solitude, the silence goes together with it very closely. They're really hand in hand. The silence enables us to enter into that solitude. And it forms a protection from the, in a way, some of the input and the demands of the outer world. But what it also does, it, it reveals to us our inner life. It reveals to us very clearly and sometimes starkly what goes on inside our experience. And this is very important information. This is really crucial for us to see, to understand what is going on in our experience. 
And so to not hold the silence tightly, not to sort of grasp at it in some way as though it's a sort of some something that we, we, we can't allow any noise or any sound to enter our consciousness. But to more just have a sense of relaxing into it. Relaxing in what it, into what it means to be quiet. And to see what might be discovered in that. Even if we find it uncomfortable at times. Even if we might feel that we, we really want to communicate about something. To see, is it really necessary? Or can we just be in that space? And to see how much that throws us back on ourself. Throws us back on our inner process. And on a, on a sense of, and a quality of experience which is rather different when it's not so full of noise. And this is the other, the other element of silence really, which is not just the outer silence, but it's a silence of heart and a silence of mind that comes when we, when we let go of the busyness of our outer and our inner activity. And so in the silence we might attend to our habits of communicating with others, but equally to be listening to how we speak to ourselves. To be listening to the, in a way, the at times incessant chatter that we observe inside ourselves. And just seeing to what extent we can allow that to run quiet, to be silent, to be still. Not forcing it, because we can't force it to happen, but just allowing it. Just allowing it by not feeding it and fueling it. The Buddha once said that it is the, the small streams which make a lot of noise and chatter as they flow, that the, the great rivers run silently and deep. I think this is a lovely metaphor, the sense of the river of our life being allowed to run deep and that the silence really allows us to touch that depth, to immerse ourselves in that depth the depth of our life. And that what we, what we can discover in it is a, a level of, of connection and a, le a level of authenticity in our life that's really, really quite something precious. And so, with the silence, to, to stay with it, as I said, and to, to minimize the, the use of notes or other forms of communication that aren't really necessary. And to see, to see what comes out of that. So at this point I'm aware you've been sitting for quite some time with the, um, the talk from John and from the three of us. And if you'd like to just take a moment or two to stand up, to stretch your legs and to not go anywhere because we'll be moving onto a, a brief meditation very soon. But just if you'd like to stretch, breathe deeply. And then as you feel ready, just allowing yourself to settle back into the chair or onto your mat. And so we'll sit for just a little less than 10 minutes. And in beginning the sitting, I'll just give some very brief instructions this evening. And there will be much fuller and more comprehensive instructions tomorrow morning in the sitting after, after the work period. And so for now, just allowing yourself to settle, to feel established in your body. Just knowing that you're here. Allowing your body to be relaxed and yet alert and upright.
allowing your eyes to be closed unless you feel very tired, in which case they can be just softly focused on the floor in front of you. And bringing your attention into your body, feeling yourself sitting here, and connecting with the breathing, bringing your attention to actually feel the breath as it flows into and out of your body. And just sensing where you connect with it the most clearly, the most directly. Whether it be at the nostrils where the air enters and leaves the body, the rise and fall of your chest, or the rise and fall of the abdomen, or perhaps the whole flow right through into the body and out. Wherever it's most clear, just connect with that experience. Actually feel what it feels like. So not thinking about or visualizing it, but feeling the sensations. And just observing each breath. And whenever you notice that your attention is drawn to some other experience, just to be aware that that has happened. And then simply, gently and yet clearly return your attention to the breathing. Observing it just as it is. And allowing it to be an anchor which connects you to the present moment.
I haven't been here in a few months, but it may be a new part of the IMS service that you get provided with a lullaby during the last sitting every evening. Um, tomorrow morning, I know many of you have just come out of busy work schedules or traveled far. So tomorrow morning, there's no scheduled sitting meditation before breakfast. If you are awake, please feel free to come and sit, of course. Um, but I would suggest that this evening you really do very consciously cultivate a sense of beginning your retreat, of letting yourself slow down some in your body. Um, you know, there's no big need to rush here, no big deadlines or pressures to let yourself begin really to feel at home in your body, at home in the moment, and at home here at IMS. And really, to, as you begin the retreat this evening, to really have a sense that this time here is a gift you are offering to yourself, that it's truly a gift that you are offering, a space to be, a space to be in, to listen well, to be responsive in. So I hope you rest well, as well as you can, in new beds and new environments. And we'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.